Okay, so um, we're nearly there with this series, Vital Signs. So we're thinking about the seven signs of life that we've all uh, that we all experience in our physical lives, things that uh, we learnt about in the biology class. And we noted how Jesus would so often use uh, the physical reality to say something about our spiritual reality. So when Jesus wanted to talk about growth, he says it's a bit like a little seed that's put into the ground, the smallest of seeds, and grows into a massive uh, tree. Uh, When he wanted to talk about um, uh, dealing with aspects of our lives that perhaps aren't bearing fruit, he said, well, think about a a vine, and sometimes you need to cut off some of the branches in order that the goodness might be uh, channeled into the lesser branches in order that you might produce more fruit, and so on. So very often he took the physical reality, the way things are in the physical world, the way he's created them to be, in order to illuminate a spiritual or a kingdom reality. And we've been thinking about these over the last uh, weeks, and uh, we come to the last one this morning as uh, we think about nutrition. We think about what we feed ourselves uh, with or what we feed ourselves uh, on. And in a sense, if I was to ask in this context... What are you feeding yourself on? You will immediately think, I suspect, because of the environment and because of the context, you would immediately begin to think about the Bible and you would feel uh, that the right answer, and it is, that you need to feed yourself on God's Word and probably most of us would just be feeling a little edgy and a little bit guilty that we don't feed on it as much as uh, we should. And then you'd expect me to say, or to remind us of verses like the one that Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out or proceeds from the mouth of God. So uh, we've got this baseline of understanding that what all of us need in order to nourish our lives is to be feeding on God's uh, word. And uh, both the New Testament and the Old Testament often talks about the the way that the Word of God needs to uh, enter our lives in the way that we would uh, use food and so on. So, for example, uh, Jeremiah talks about eating God's words. Literally says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. So this idea that if our lives are to be nourished, if our lives are to be uh, rich and uh, flourishing and healthy, then we need God's Word right at the heart and right at the center. And you'll know if you know the Psalms that that's exactly the message of Psalm 1, that a life that is based on God's Word is like a tree planted where? By by the river, absolutely, by, 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 by a fresh flowing river and uh, yields, therefore, a lot of crop. So, as we think about what it might mean to nourish our lives, we have to put God's Word right at the center of the whole discussion. And one of the simple tools that we remind people of, and I've already talked about it uh, once in this series, and I'm going to mention it for a few moments before we move on this morning, a simple tool that we use, uh, encourage one another to use, is SOAP, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So very simply, how do we feed ourselves on God's Word? Very simply, it's this. You open the Scripture. And as you read the Scripture, you're looking to observe 
what it might be saying to you on that particular day. So as you read a passage of Scripture, as you read a story, as you read a chapter, as you read what it says in your Bible reading notes to read that particular day, you are asking the Holy Spirit to help you observe what's there for you uh, on that particular on that particular day. So scripture observation. And as a particular, as it often does, a particular verse stands out, a particular word stands out, or a particular idea that's in the passage stands out, then what we're encouraging one another to do is rather get, than get distracted on the whole, take what's standing out for you that, in that moment. Take what the Holy Spirit is bringing to you in that moment and then allow yourself to reflect a little bit more, to observe a bit more fully in order that you might tease out what the application is for you. And that's the most important little part of the Bible reading journey. Most of us find it easy to become self-satisfied when we've read the passage of Scripture because, tick, we've done what's been asked of us. We've done what we should do as good Christians. But the real test is whether we push through to allow what God is saying to us to actually feed our lives. And that's the application. So what is God saying to me from it? So, for example, you've got the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a story about a man that goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was a dangerous road. There were lots of robbers that would hide along the way. And this man uh, was going down. The robbers jumped out. They beat him till he was barely alive, stole his money. And then what happened? Different people walked past And it was the most unlikely person who stopped and helped the robber, um, the the robbed man, sorry, lying helpless in the road. Well, what's the application? The application might be don't walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. The application might be that uh, Samaritans are more loving than we thought they were. It was a Samaritan man who stopped and typically the people listening to this story that Jesus told hated the Samaritans. So you could draw some very general applications. You might draw an application that says we are to love people who are different from us and that would be edging towards a good application but the good application might be for you that day. Who is God asking me to love when it might seem unlikely that I would love them? So who's that person And what might it mean to love them? Does it mean carrying them to an inn? Probably not. Circumstances are different. But what might it mean to love them in the office that day? And you drill it right down to take God's general word and make it specific to you, to your life, and to your situation. Scripture, observation, application. You pray, Lord, help me to love so-and-so today by doing X. And I confess that I find them really annoying and I, I need to sort that out. So, that's the, the basis of what we need to do daily. It's all of these things, all of these vital signs that you'll notice, and I commented on it a few weeks ago, are, are rhythms. You can't have all your meals on the first day of the month and hope for the best for the rest. It just doesn't work like that. There's a daily reality. Jesus said, pray for your daily bread, and there was good reason for that. So as we're thinking about how we feed ourselves, we've got the Word of God as the basis, as the platform, and uh, we've mentioned that several times this series, so I want to move on in the final moments that we have together in this uh, series today. Uh, by the way, burlingtonbaptistchurch.org.uk forward slash 
soap has got uh, all of what I've just said and some more things and ideas of how you can do that in groups and so on. So uh, discipline in your small groups, you should be doing it. Discipline in your missional communities, you should be doing it. Uh, and at other times when we meet as well. Hmm. I think that might have been last week's. <coughs> Lovely. Okay, so how else might we um, think about nourishing our lives? I want to zone in on that famous verse that John read to us from uh, Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. In other words, there are things that are going on around us in our lives that also feed us. They feed us positively and aid our flourishing, or they feed us negatively and edge us towards our own downfall. So I want to think about four areas of our lives that feed us whether we like it or not, and for us to begin just to think or to continue to think this morning about whether these areas are feeding us positively, am I more alive because of this reality, or actually is this reality stifling me? One of the things uh, that uh, is often quoted is that what the world needs is you and I as alive in God's Spirit as we can possibly be. The more alive I am, the more effective I will be in God's kingdom purpose. So you might say we're asking the question as to whether these things bring us alive or not. First one is this. People. Are you feeding well from people? Other people? Whether we like it or not, we nourish our lives or have our lives drained by other people. Now, a good evangelical upbringing, if you had one of those, emphasized quite a lot about the fact that the world is, is full of bad influences and nasty people and we need to keep ourselves away from the world because there was a huge fear that if you go out into the world then the world will corrupt you and so there was emphasis about about keeping away from the world because of the way it would feed you, you understand what I'm saying anyone still listening to any of this okay some of you are still there. okay good so the 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 flip side of that is a missional church comes along and says, actually, that's a load of humbug. You've got to get yourself in the world, otherwise you're never going to be able to influence it or change it. Now, the truth is at both ends, as it always is. The truth is a paradox. But what I'm asking you to think about for a moment is that if you think about the people that are around you, your neighborhood, your family, your work, wherever it is, which direction is the influence going? So at work, are you influencing others 
Or do you find yourself becoming influenced by them? Who's feeding who? You see, missional church says, we need to be in the world feeding them. The reality sometimes is, we find ourselves in the world and they're feeding us. Hello? So, and sometimes... It's no good saying I'm in the world because that's what Jesus asked if the influence, if the feeding is going the wrong way. Which is why on our triangle we have up but we also have a, an out and a, an in. Boom! Because you need that balance of being in an environment where you're being fed well so that in other environments you can do the feeding. If you're in an environment where you are being negatively fed, you probably, thank you very much, you probably will be able, you will probably need to withdraw for a moment in order to get your equilibrium back, in order to return, in order to be a feeder rather than the one being fed. So if you just rest um, with it in your spirit just for a moment and think about whatever environment the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on just now, what, which way is the feeding going? Are you confident that you are feeding others well? Or are you anxious that others might be feeding you in a not so healthy way? Who are the people right now come into mind? And which direction does the movement need to be in? Maybe think about it this way for a moment. Some people drain the life out of you in less than 30 seconds. Other people help you come alive. It's not that you should abandon the people that drain you, but if you don't balance that somehow, you will end up with nothing to give. Again, who are the people coming to mind? Which direction is the movement and what might you need to do about it? So are you feeding well from people? Which one's the new one? This one? this one? You mean you were watching this and not paying attention to what I was saying? Is this the right one? Thank you. It's all right? Thank you very much. Are you feeding well from people? Secondly, are you feeding well from places? From places. Uh, We've kind of inherited a little bit of a theology that says places don't matter because God is everywhere, and he absolutely is. But places do matter. What did the psalmist say when he needed some help? I lift up my eyes to the hills, which is why you can't be a Christian in Suffolk. (laughs) You You can't do that, can you? That's the fundamental problem that we're all facing. There are no hills here. What was the psalmist saying in that moment? He says, as I, as I find myself in a place 
where I can see the hills, where I can see the mountains, as some uh, translations put it, in that place, it does something for my reality. And you will know that for yourself. For some of you, it's the sea. You go, when I see the sea, it does something for my reality. It, it, it just touches me. It's not necessarily uh, a logical thing, but it, it expresses something of God, his beauty, his grandeur, his majesty, his overwhelmingness, his transcendence, whatever words we use, and that communicates something to me. So actually I know that if I need my life to be nourished, then actually embracing the sea from time to time feeds me well. Why did God create the sea, the mountains, and all of that? Because it's part of the dynamic of the way that we live. So there's some obvious things, isn't there? Like the countryside and mountains and hills and so on. There are less obvious things, perhaps, that still feed you in the same way. There might be places that you go that help you get in touch with who you are. For some of you, that might be the gym. For others of you, that isn't the gym. Bring some people alive... It kills some people quite rapidly. You might love the library where it's peaceful and quiet. You might find yourself in that environment wanting to scream just because you can. So we're all different, but we all need certain places to help nourish our lives. It's the way God made us in all our diversity and in all our creativity. Depending on your introvert or extrovertness, you might prefer to work with lots of noise or you might prefer to work in silence. You might appreciate background music all the time. That might drive you insane because we're all different. But understanding what nourishes you, what restores you, is really important. And not only is it important to understand it, It's also therefore important to create rhythms that will help you to get the balance that you need in order to live well. Is all this self-serving? Is it self-focused? Is it all about making your life better? Well, it could be, because every positive thing has a negative reality. But that's not what the kingdom call on our lives is calling us to. We are to be all that we can be, as fully alive as we possibly can, in order that we might take that life into the world. So what do I need to be as alive as I can? And these are part of the rhythms of our lives. So what are those places that makes you feel alive? When was the last place you felt really alive in? Where was the last place you felt really alive in? Well, the flip side of that, where are those places that actually suck the life right out of you? It's not that you shouldn't go there, but you need to recognize the impact that it has on you if you're to live well. Maybe there's a lot of overlap with this next one. So we've talked about people and places. Think about pastimes. Pastimes. Are pastimes feeding you well? Our pastimes feeding you well. Whatever you do, Paul wrote, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. So are your pastimes feeding you well? Do you come out of those times 
better as a person, more alive as a person, better equipped to go back into the world as a person, or do you come out of that or those times perhaps less than the person who entered them? If you watch, for example, um, a trashy soap, Perhaps that, perhaps that was a bad term, a loaded term, implies that all soaps are trashy, and maybe they are. We could have a vote on that in a minute. Um, if you watch a soap every now and again as a bit of mindless winding down, well, that might be fine, so be it. But if you become addictive to it and it becomes compulsive viewing, then clearly you're going to come out of that every time less the person that you could be. Or, if you spend a lot of your time focused on those kind of worldviews, whether we like it or not, those worldviews affect us. Now, I know we're clever and sophisticated, and, and I think sometimes the arguments are very simplistic. If my kids shoot a few people on the Xbox, I don't generally worry that they're going to go out into the street and shoot someone most of the time. But what you'll all have observed is that if people are aggressive in an environment, it's hard for that not to spill over into another environment. And that's true about emotion, it's true about relationships, it's true about image, it's true about our sexuality, it's true about almost everything. So, in terms of the image that we project, we constantly get fed all of these images that we try to live up to, and to be honest, it's impossible. And so, what does that make us feel? It makes us feel less valued than we did before we saw it, less worthwhile than we were before we watched it, because there's this kind of image created of what we should be that actually we know we can never meet and never become. It's true in relationships. When people fall in love, Usually, the only close visual they've seen of people falling in love is on a screen somewhere. And it's not like that at all, is it? Because when you fall in love with someone, lo and behold, they bring their rubbish with them into the relationship. Oh, that's a bit awkward. No one else seems to realize that. It was just me then. Sorry, love. I brought all my baggage into our relationship and it's just spilling over left, right, and center. It's like, um, most of our image, knowledge, experience, emotion around sexuality is through a screen. Until it becomes reality for us in our lives, and then we go, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be quite like that. Because of course it's, it's totally different. We're we're being fed this unreal world that generally is not helping us because it's creating a reality that's increasingly disconnected from actual reality, which makes us more miserable about the reality that we're in. Does that make sense? Now, that happens ever so subtly and ever so slowly. So it's not a question of, I won't watch that anymore, I won't do that anymore, or it might be a question of that. But I just think we need to awaken ourselves to what, what, what feeds us again and again and again and how very subtly we get molded by those things. And so you might spend you know, time playing a mindless computer game and find yourself more irritated at the end of it than you were at the beginning. That doesn't mean playing computer games is wrong. 
But in that moment, it's not served you well. Other times, of course, it can be different. Sport, and it's the same, everything's positive, everything. Sport is a fantastic part of the world that God's made. But sport corrupts people. And people lose their jobs because they'll spend another hour at the snooker club or another day and a half on the golf course or whatever it, it might be. And so in your pastimes, if Jesus was to walk through the way you spend your downtime, how comfortable would you be about it all? How comfortable would you be about it all? And just now, perhaps the Spirit of God's just speaking about some things. And you're going, actually, I just need to modify that a little bit. I just need to pull back a little bit in that area. I can see that my, my mind is being, is being shaped by something that I don't really want my mind to be shaped by, if I'm honest. And then the last thing, people, places, um, and then thirdly, sorry, what was I talking about? Pastimes I was talking about, wasn't I? Uh, so thirdly, pastimes. Fourthly, possessions. Lastly, possessions. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of uh, possessions. So oddly enough, possessions feed us well. So if you've got a comfy chair to sit on at the end of the day, that blesses you, helps restore you, that's a good thing. So possessions can be a very positive thing in our lives. If you've got a roof over your head, be extremely grateful because it offers a level of safety and security so that you can sleep well at night. But equally, possessions can feed us in a negative way. Your home is busy. You're always welcoming people into your home. In fact, you love it when lots of people come into your home because Jesus has given you your home and you like it when people come in. You're easy about it. They go into the lounge. They all eat pizza, all sit in front of the telly, all sit on the floor. Everyone has a good time. And your house is just the kind of kingdom house that you want it to be. And then, and you've been waiting to do this for a long time, and then you buy a new carpet for the lounge. What happens? Hello, take your shoes off. No, 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 we're not eating in the lounge today. In fact, we're not eating in this house ever again. Because you know the law, don't you, that the pizza will fall which side down on the new carpet. It's inevitable. And and suddenly, you've gone from this really useful kingdom set of possessions to something that actually becomes a stranglehold because you're suddenly anxious about protecting something that you've been given. And it's odd, isn't it? Reverse psychology. You'd be given something new and you become very anxious about protecting it and less willing to share. So possessions can feed us in a very negative way. And of course, it's the same with everything. Not just the new carpet. Apologies if you've just got a new carpet and you're struggling with people in your lounge. Um, But whatever it is, it, it impacts us. And in that environment, something that is intrinsically good feeds something very negative in our lives. So have you got something right now? Do you own something, have something that is actually stifling 
the kingdom life of God in you, but is actually making you less alive because you're consumed about anxiety towards it, protecting it, keeping it, whatever it, whatever it might be. It's ironic, isn't it, that the more we are given, it's easy to become less generous with it. And there's a great kingdom reality of being able to release freely you've received, freely, freely give. A great kingdom reality in that moment. So is there a possession that is actually making you less alive? And we will argue, probably rightly so, that this particular possession is good and intrinsically it probably is. But so often it can become a stranglehold in our lives. And Jesus was saying, watch out therefore, be on your guard because your life doesn't consist of the abundance of those things. Let's be quiet for a moment. As we just think about where the Spirit of God might be wanting to speak into our hearts.